Uh, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 28. It's part of the text that's been assigned to me. I'm also going to share something from Matthew chapter 9 and then finally Acts uh, chapter 1. Uh, those are my main texts that I'm going to be sharing from. But first let me just think a, a problem that I see often in the church of Jesus Christ. And that is that oftentimes we believe that a movement of evangelism or a, move, a missional movement can proceed without prayer. I think that we can have a certain effectiveness in evangelism and mission and movement, a certain effectiveness in prayer uh, without prayer, but if we want a lasting movement, if we want to see the power of God and bringing multiple people to Christ, we have to merge prayer and evangelism together. They are inseparable to one another. You can't really have one without the other. And uh, my title of the sermon has to do with uh, prayer being the birth pain of evangelism. And I've seen this happen quite a bit, and I'll get into more of that, but uh, when, when the Lord is getting ready to do something, a harvest, people begin to have a sense, we've got to be praying, we've got to be seeking God. And it's sort of, it, it really is it's sort of like the birth pains before the explosive growth. And I've seen, and as I'll share in a moment, over and over again, how the Lord operates that way. So I am going to share some things here, and uh, I hope I'm not repeating something that has already wonderfully been said by the previous three sermons and three focuses. And, and if I do, let's just say that God wants you to hear it again. <laughs> but I know that I, I'm not sure, well, we'll just, we'll just go with Lord leads with that, okay? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through, tw nine, uh, verses 19 through 20, um, there has been a question that's come across in my mind is, what is the mandate? What is it that God has really called us to do? Uh, that verse, let me just read it, Matthew chapter 29, 28, excuse me, verses 19 through 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm very interested in discipleship. I am very committed to leadership development. Uh, it is one of my passions I give a lot of time to. <clears throat> I heard John Maxwell, uh, an incredible preacher, teacher, motivational speaker. He's very effective in building churches. I sat in a conference one time with him, and he had a, some 350 pastors there, and they were just taking notes about how to build their own church and so forth, as he taught on many different topics. And he said, I'm going to give you the secret to building a big church. And he had everyone's attention, including my own. Okay. Now he had taken a church that had less than you know, 30 people in, in a year or so, he had over 300 people. He had taken a church that had a thousand something people and in several years it grew to over 3,000. So everybody was, let's hear the secret. This is the man who knows how to do it. And he said, the secret to building a big church is you build big people and they build big churches. And then he elaborated, he elaborated on that, he said, Disciple some people 
pour your heart out into a field. And they are the ones who built the church. And ever since then, I have increasingly been committed to discipleship. Uh, I know that I know that I can't build this church and my church by myself. It takes others. It takes a teamwork of people. So I give myself, I dedicate a lot of time for discipleship. And I was reading a particular book on discipleship called Personal Disciple, Disciple Making by Christopher Adsit. Adsit. Christopher Adsit. And he, expo- he, he brought some things out from this passage, especially the, some Greek grammatical uh, things of how uh, the language is in the original language. Um, anybody? I, listen, I am not a Greek scholar, but when I read this, I found it very interesting. So here it is. He said that there are three adverbial participles in this passage. And then a- after that, he lost me. Because I was thinking, what's an adverbial? What's a participle? What is this? What is he talking about? And he explained the three adverbial participles are go, baptizing, teaching. And all of them are modifying an imperative. And the imperative in this passage is make disciples. Or let me put it differently. I had to read that over and over again. I said, what does he mean? I'm trying to, oh, the imperative or the command in this passage in the Greek is, well, look at it. It is not go. It is not teach. It is not baptize. In the Great Commission, the command is make disciples. Oh, you know, I, I've heard this passage preached a lot of times, and it seems like we ministers often say, we emphasize, go, 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 go. The actual command in the original language is make disciples. And these three adverbial participles just describe how it's done. Go make disciples. How? As you're going along in your life, at work, at home, your neighbors, at school, whatever. As you're going along, make disciples. You know, you're teaching here and there, but it's part of make disciples. Baptism uh, in our tradition has something to do with being part of the family, right? So, as you're going along, making disciples, bring them into the family. Bring them to church. Bring them to a community. Baptize them. Bring them to a community. As you're going along. The, the emphasis or the command in this passage is to go, not to go, but to make disciples. I wanted to give you that one thought. I, I hope I'm not repeating something that someone else has said. But I want us to capture that because I have heard it and I have preached it many times, emphasizing the go, go, go. And I just realized after reading that book, it, that's not the command. The command is to make disciples, make disciples. But here's the other thing I want to share out in this passage is, that just has been capturing my heart. It's really been capturing my heart for the last year. It is make disciples of non-believers. Go into the world. Go to the nations. Find the non-believers. Make them into disciples. And that's been capturing my heart because in our culture, our Christian culture, too often the word disciple has been connected to find the young believers in the church and help them to grow. 
It's been connected to what we do with believers. And I've been reading this passage and just looking at it over again. And the Lord is saying, find non-believers and make them into disciples. And I hope I'm not repeating something that's been said so far in the last couple of days. But can I give you a story, an example? I love telling stories. A good friend of mine, Pastor Larry Perez, he loves to have his hair really short. I don't know if because he's a Michael Jordan fan, you know, the back then of the days. Just so to keep your hair really short, you gotta go to the barber every 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 other week or so. I do the best I can with whatever's left on my head, but he just does this. And he goes, he goes to a non-Christian barber in his where his church is located in North Lake. And he, therefore, he goes every other week. And we, he's been, it took them a year to discover that he was a Christian because he said, I just wanted to build a relationship with the barbers. And when they found out he was, a, he was not only a Christian, but he was a pastor, eventually he built such a relationship with the owner of the barbershop. The owner of the barbershop said, hey, why don't we start a Bible study? The barber was not a Christian. And eventually that grew to every week he has a Bible study with the other non-Christian barbers. And even if there's a client there, the client is forced to listen to the Bible study. Isn't that interesting? And I said to myself, Larry, that's a good idea. You know, you go into the world and as you're going, right, you're wanting to make disciples. How do you do that? So I started asking the Lord, if you give me an opportunity Talk to some barber, build a relationship. Maybe we can get a Bible study started there too. I started getting a call from a young man who used to come to my church off and on. His name is Frankie. Frankie's about 26 years old. Frankie cuts hair for a living. Take my son, I take my son to him. And one day I'm, I'm sitting in the barber and Frankie is cutting his hair. And Frankie starts telling me, Pastor, now, Frankie comes to my church off and on. He's a really weak Christian at best. Okay? Really weak Christian at best. And he's cutting hair and he's talking to my, you know, cutting my son. And he said, he said, Pastor, there's a guy I'm talking to. He's a Berwyn police officer. Another young guy, about 25 years old. A Berwyn police officer. And he has all these questions about God. And I'm trying to answer the questions about God. And he's doing that. He's cutting my son's hair. And, and I, we were thinking, man, we need some kind of more training and discipleship. And he's and he's not using the word discipleship. He's, you know, training and learning the Bible. And he's cutting my son here. And he's going on and on and on. And I'm thinking, okay, Frankie, what are you trying to say? And after about 10 minutes of that, I said, okay, Frankie, Frankie, um, are you asking me if I would start a Bible study with you and Ron? And Frankie said, what do you think I've been saying for the last 10 minutes? You know? <laughs> now I'm thinking, okay, We'll start it there at the barbershop. No, Frankie wanted it done in the church. So Frankie brought his friend, who's a Berwyn police officer, doesn't know Christ. He brought him to my church, and we started meeting every week for Bible study. Let me put it this let me use a different word. Discipleship. Disciple non-believers. Meeting with Frankie. Meeting with Ron. And we start, our, our discipleship is very simple. And I want to give you an example, because sometimes I think we need, 
some point a concrete example. What do, we, what do you do with a non-believer? What do you share? And so some of the leaders here, you might be familiar with something that's called Life Transform- Transformation Group. It's sort, of, it's sort of like a discipleship format that, you, that can be used, and it's often used with non-believers, and I want to give you an example of it. So Frankie, Ron, and I, Ron is the Berwyn police officer. He doesn't know the Lord. We sat down every week, and for one hour, we covered 10 questions that we answered together. So I'll give you an example of these 10 questions. First question. We, 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 by the way, we're building a relationship. How are you doing, Frankie? How are you doing, Ron? We just kind of share. And then we finally got into the questions. And the first question was, have you been a testimony this week to the greatness of Jesus Christ with both your words and your actions? Frankie, he's a barber. He talks all the time. <laughs> you know, I used to see him cutting somebody's hair. Believe in Jesus or... or no, no, no. <laughs> but he talks all the time. So he always answered this question. Yeah, I'm talking all the time to the Lord. Ron... Not quite. But I found out that he would talk about God, even though he didn't know Jesus, to some of the young people he would pick up, you know. <laughs> come here, young man. What do you mean? You know, come here. Don't you know God doesn't want you to behave that way? That's, that's Ron, the 25-year-old police officer. So have you been a testimony for Christ somehow this week? Well, Ron would answer that question all the time, Yes. Because somehow he would witness, even as a police officer, he was a witness. Frankie, all the time. Now I, as a pastor, don't spend a whole lot of time with non-Christians. So most of the time I would answer no. Although they didn't know that as I was sharing with them, I was sharing with them every week, but, it, but I, I, most of the time I said no. So let me just run through the rest of the questions because we, we committed, as of this discipleship thing, that we were going to answer these questions. Have you been exposed to sexually alluring material or dishonest, dishonoring another with sexual thoughts this week? These are young men, very carnal men. Inevitably, we had a very honest answer to that question. Let me read the last, the last few. Have you desired, um, has a desire of money, material possessions, or status at any time controlled your thoughts? And conversation and behavior. By the way, answer these questions in your mind as I'm reading, because that's what we did. Okay, I am meeting with these kind of really non-Christians who are answering those questions. You answer them in your own mind. Have you been honoring and understanding and generous in important relationships this week? Have you given into an addictive behavior in the past week? Have you continued to remain angry towards another? Have you secretly wished another person's misfortune so that you might excel? Did you finish your Bible scripture reading and hear from God this week? And what did you hear? There was a lot of, they were assigned every week they had to read some 20 some chapters of the Bible every week. And if they didn't finish it, then we had to repeat that. And if they didn't finish it the next week, we had to repeat the same thing because we were moving through the Bible, just reading the Bible. 
Those were the nine questions. There were ten. And we would just sit down for an hour and just answer those questions. Does that sound difficult in terms of a discipleship meeting? That's not. If it's a genuine, honest, and we're just we're going to build relationship, that's all it was. Here's the last question. Have you been completely honest with me in answering the other nine? <laughs> and sometimes you say, oh, no, I wasn't so honest. And we just, we just, this is, what, this is what I did with Frankie and Ron for about six months. In the midst of that time, Ron, the burned police officer, gave his life, gave his heart to the Lord in the, in the time. It didn't happen like that. But, but we had a transparent relationship, and that God just used that in our life. This was discipling a non-Christian. And I just want to share a method that we did. And we, we, I, I didn't create this. This was created by Neil Cole. He's an author, writer from California. And he does this with non-believers all the time. And it worked. It worked for us. So, I just want you to see that the command is go make disciples, and it's, the command is to make disciples of non-Christians. You ever think about calling your evangelism outreach discipleship outreach? Which is what the Lord does, right? That's really what he does. He calls it discipleship. Let me just give you some other things here that has to do now. What's the link of this with prayer? Matthew chapter 9 Verse 36, I mean 37 to 38, Jesus was going through one town after another and he was doing miracles and healing and he was just seeing the crowd that they were like sheep without a shepherd and his heart is breaking for them. And then he says this in Matthew 9 verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. What's the Lord's evangelistic strategy? Where does it begin? Pray. You've got to pray. And pray for workers. I've been in, this, in my church for three and a half years, and regularly, almost every week, I pray, Lord, give me more gifted evangelists. That's part of my prayer. I am not a gifted evangelist. I know how to share the gospel, and, I'm, and I've led you know, many people to the Lord, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. I just want to do it because the Lord wants me to do that. And I, and I love to see people come from the Lord. But I want you to see from this passage that the Lord said, ask. In other words, pray. The harvest is there, but the laborers are few. So how do we find them? Pray for them. Ask the Lord to provide them. And first, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, verse 8, we know that the Lord said, you know, the power of God will be witnesses, and the power of God will come upon you. You're going to witness here and there. And I'm just paraphrasing, you know, right? And then they waited. And in verse 14, it says that all of them joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what did they do until the power came? They prayed. Lord, we're going to move. When you sent us power, come. We're going to stay here and pray. And then out of this prayer, the release at Pentecost came. In my experience, this is absolutely true. Prayer brings growth. I have read as part of my work in getting my education and Bible and stuff like that and 
teaching at Trinity. I have read revival movement books in history over and over again. And almost without fail, none of those great evangelistic movements ever started without first prayer. It's, so, it's like prayer was essentially the, the push that brought about the sharing of the gospel. Prayer. And I've looked and saw that whether it was in Europe or the USA, all of these revival movements, all of these explosive areas of growth, what preceded that was the gathering of people to pray. And if you want, and if I just want to say this, if we want, if faith wants a movement of evangelistic growth to reach the harvest, we got to have people pray. Like I said in the beginning of the sermon, well, you can have some growth. You can have some growth about prayer. But if you want a movement, if you want to see something last, and you see something explode in growth, prayer has got to precede that movement. Prayer has got to precede that movement. So, okay, I'm, I asked uh, Pastor Greg, how much time do I got? <laughs> I won't tell you what he said. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Max Lucado has written some, a lot of wonderful stuff. He was a pastor in San, Diego, uh, San Antonio, Texas. At the time that I have this little article here, he had about 350 people in his church at that time. And this little story, is, uh, look, it's about prayer, okay? And it's about evangelistic growth. Just want you to hear, I want you to hear this. He writes in the book called Amen. He says, we have experienced the power of intercessory prayer in our church. In the early 90s, when I was new to the Oak uh, Hillman congregation, I had an opportunity to visit Skyline Church in San Diego, California, which is John Maxwell's church that grew from 1,000 to 350. He had it. Maxwell Cato had an opportunity to go visit that church. John Maxwell had invited me to speak. I agreed... I agreed, I'll speak, in exchange for his best advice of building a healthy church. And he quickly gave me the advice. He just said, pray. My grandmother used to say that to me all the time. But just, what? Pray? My wife tells me all the time, did you pray about it? I said, what? He specifically, this is what John Maxwell uh, told uh, Mexico. He specifically suggested that I recruit 120 prayer partners who would commit to pray daily for the church, me and my family. Um, upon returning to San Diego, I announced the plan to the congregation. Within a, a month, exactly 100 had, uh, had volunteered to form prayer teams. And six months later, I was happy to send a report to John Maxwell. Six months later, he did this, okay, 120 people prayed. They were daily praying for these three things. And six months later, this was the result in his church. Number one, we have broken our Sunday attendance record twice. Two, we have finished the year with our highest ever average Sunday attendance. Three, we have finished the year well over our budget. Deacons like that one. We have, number four, we have nearly doubled the staff 
and the elders. Five, we have witnessed several significant healings. And six, church antagonism was at an all-time low. And the church unity was at an all-time high. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. I was told this in our, in our church. I was told the story. And I said, Lord, if it can work for them, I'm like this. I've been, I am not a very inventive thing, person. I always try. If it works somewhere else, let me just try it. So I want to tell you what I did in my church. I don't have 120 people you know, we have 80, 90 people who come on Sunday morning. So I said, how would this look like in our congregation? Great, check this out. So one Sunday morning, I said, can we have 40 people, just 40 people, who will commit themselves to pray for just 40 days and to pray four minutes a day about four things? Sounds simple, right? Four, 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 just... just 40 people. I just want 40 people to commit themselves to pray for 40 days, only 40 days, and to pray four minutes a day for four things. And I just said, would you pray, first of all, pray for our church, right? Just gently. Pray for our leadership of the church. I said, yeah, pray for me. And pray, and I said, pray for church growth. Let's pray for church. Just those things. That's all. I said, it's very simple. Just, can I have 40 people? And so, I said, the first Sunday, I had 20 sign up, and after a couple of Sundays, I had 40 people. And we prayed. And they prayed enough to pray. They just prayed the prayer. And we did it for 40 40 days. And I wanted to see if this would happen, if we would have, you know, some results. So I'll just tell you of a couple of Because it worked. It worked. People prayed, and church growth, it was happening. Let me tell you how it happened. So I'm meeting with, I'm still meeting with Frankie and Ron. And Ron and Frankie. And I said, Ron, would it be, what do you think about us starting a Bible study with a lot of young people your age? Oh, that's a great idea, Pastor, you know. And I told him, I don't know anybody your age in their 20s. <laughs> so if we do this, you have to recruit everybody. I said, no problem. Who would do that? You know, Frankie knows a lot of people, right? He knows a lot of cutting hair. He knows a lot of people. And most of them don't know God. But they agreed to it. So in October, uh, the year before, I said, okay, we'll start on Thursday night. Come to my house. I'll feed you guys. We'll have a great time. Frankie, Ron, and three guys came. And those three guys didn't know the Lord. That was the first Thursday. The next Thursday, Frankie, Ron, his friends, plus one more came. That's the very next Thursday. The Thursday after that, the same guys came, plus two others. The Thursday after that, I had nine come. And almost all of them were guys in their 20s, except for one girl. The Sunday after that, it was growing. So this started in October. By the time we reached December, our gathering had 22 young adults come to it, and almost all of them were not Christians. This was great. This was in a time where they had committed to pray 40 days, okay, 40 people, 
who were saying, I'm just going to pray four minutes a day. This started happening. And I'm amazed that non-Christians were willing to come to my house and listen to a pastor give a study, whatever it happened to be. Now, they loved the food because we loved their feet. You know, I think they were coming for their food. Their friend. And listen, afterwards, they love also going to the gym. You know, guys, they want to play volleyball or basketball. But I'm amazed that they're coming anyway. Non-Christians are coming to my house and hearing the gospel, hearing the truth, hearing whatever it is. We're building relationship. Before any movement, Greg, prayer has to birth it. It has to happen. And it's happened historically always like that. When a people pray, it is, it is the birth pain. When there's a groaning in your heart that something's got to happen and God is behind something, it's because God is getting ready to birth something. Birth pain. Prayer is absolutely essential. Are you with me? Am I okay? Are we, are we all right? We're here. I get a little bit emotional when I talk about these things. But I also get excited. To this day, by the way, the numbers come back. I still have around 12 of them still coming to my house. And the others off and on. And half of them are still non-Christian. And I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that I can still sit down with them and build relationships and talk to them about the Lord. What's the application? I think it's pretty obvious. I just want to say, disciples of non- discipleship of non-Christians, let's not make it so, such a difficult thing. You know, you find someone that you build a relationship at home, at work, or neighbors, or something like that, and you just, you just start meeting with them over coffee or whatever. And with this, we come, they were willing to commit to answering these questions. I answered them too. I said, I'm with you. I'm not just the leader here. As you answer these questions, I will answer them too. That was our discipleship method of non-believers. But the other thing was about praying. And I want to leave you with that. The whole importance of praying So I want to conclude with a challenge. Beloved family of faith church. I really, this isn't my heart for you. It's in my heart for all the churches, by the way. But it's in my heart for you. Would you be willing to commit yourself? And I hope that God would raise prayer partners in this church. The simple thing. You have to take this, Greg, where you want to go, okay? But I'll just put it simple. 40 people, 40 prayer partners in this church. I wonder if God, who searches the land for prayer, people who would pray, I wonder if there are 40 people in this church that would be willing to pray for 40 days, four minutes each day, about those four things. Yes, you pray for your pastor. It's a, you know, he's been under a lot of attack, but the Lord still wants to use this man of God, okay? You pray for your pastor. You pray for your church in general. You pray, you, listen, you pray for evangelism. You, you can identify what the four key things. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. If God finds 40 people at, at this church here at Faith who will commit themselves to pray for 40 days, at the end of the time, you're going to see some birth happen, some Dynamic things happen. Are there 40 people? Are there here? You know, I just wonder. If God is, if God is turning your heart, I want you to talk to 
Pastor Greg, after this, okay? Greg Sherry, I want you to talk to him. Say, I, I want to be part of that. Can we expand this? Can we get 40 people? So that's my first challenge to this church. And I, I really do believe it's going to, it'll, it'll launch this church and grow. This is for your church. This is not about mission somewhere else. It's about mission outside of your church, reaching non-believers. The second challenge that I have is simply, I wonder if, I wonder, you know, this, this little boundaries, Greg, I, I, you might want to see that this is what that Max Lucado thing and uh, his book, and this is that little life transformation, and I just want to give it to him. But I wonder if, if there are some people that say, you know what, I'd like to disciple some non-believers. If it is just building a relationship and we together say, the two of us or the three of us or coffee, we'll just answer these questions. That's all it is. And it's about transparency and honesty. And we'll do that weekly. I wonder if there's, there's I, was, I, I put down numbers. Will there be 20 people from this church to rise up and say, I, and I'm only to stop with this one person every week and we'll just have coffee and we'll build a relationship and we'll answer these questions. And it was designed to do with non-believers. So that's the second challenge. I have. Consider that. And here's the final one. And then we'll go on to uh, sing, I'll pray in response song and so forth. When I came to Ebenezer Church, they had 40 to 50 African-American young men, almost all of them non-Christians, that would use our basketball gym every Wednesday night. George Bosman, a uh, wonderful man, uh, was the one who would guide the group, and he, in the middle of their basketball playing, he would stop and they would pray, and he would take requests, and he would share a little brief devotion. Every night, we had 40, 50 or more young African-American men, mostly in their 20s, who would come and play basketball. What an opportunity. Lord Bosman, uh, due to important things in his life, he had to stop that, and we we had to close it down because we have a high commitment that we got to always have two or so adults there to guide that. I, we have, right now, African-American guys, when are you going to start it up again? When are you going to start it up? When are you going to start it up again? Why? They want to come. So here's my invitation. We're looking for three adults, supposedly young men. Young adults. Not the young, George Bosman is 70-something years old, you know, just... But who will be willing to monitor that basketball ministry so we can get it started. And then in the middle of that, this is every Wednesday night, then in the middle of that, stop the group and say, everyone sit down. And they ask all these 40 or 50 guys to sit down. And for about 10 minutes, they would hear a devotional. They would pray. And then they'd get back to play basketball. And they were very respectful at that time. And we were desperately looking for three volunteers to help us to get that started. I mean, an instant harvest time, instant opportunity. So I present that as a possibility to see if anyone will rise up to be willing to be part of it.